followed you imperfectly, not always in the best way, but have followed you to the very end. We thank you for the gift of life that comes through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. As I said, I, I have titled today's message, This Journey, but it also could be subtitled, What Stands Between Us and God? This last week, I was reminded by a famous quote by General George S. Patton. Kids, that was an old, old general a long time ago in World War II. General Patton was actually quoting a sentiment from Thomas Paine. All of us, that was an older, older guy from the Revolutionary War. Thomas Paine, basically the quote goes like this. It says, lead, follow, or get out of the way. This was Patton's way to communicate what he was trying to say. And, and Paine was in the same. It's like you need to either get on board or get off. It's one or the other. I don't think any of us in here would ever suggest or say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, lead, follow, or get out of the way. I just don't think any Christian would do that. But I think our actions might say something different and maybe a little bit close to that. I think our actions might say something along the lines of, um, I'm going to live my life the way I want to, and Jesus, you can either follow along or you can get out of the way. I, I believe some of us live that way. I believe I have lived that way. Jesus, you can either come along with me in all the stupid stuff that I'm doing, or you can just get out of the way. And see, when you choose to follow Jesus, you're choosing something profound. And what we're having to understand and what we have to realize is that a lot of us are living a life that basically is telling Jesus, we are good with the salvation, we're good with heaven, we're good with eternity with you, whatever that means, we're good with uh, all of the blessings that you like to pour out on your children, we're good with the gifts, we love Christmas time 24-7, 365, we're good with all of that, but don't ask me to do anything. Don't tell me how to think. Don't tell me what I should or should not believe. I just need you, Jesus, to do what you do, which is defeat sin and save my life. I want nothing else beyond that. That is a childish reading and understanding of the Scripture. If you are there today, you're stuck. I was talking with a friend this past week, and we were talking about young people, and as they go off to college or go off into life, into workplace or a trade, trade school, wherever they go. They leave their mom and dad's house, typically, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> they leave their mom and dad's house, they go out into the world, and they find themselves with saying these kinds of things. I don't know if I still believe what I grew up with. I'm not sure I accept what I was taught. I don't know if the, what I learned in church is something that, that um, um, is, is, is resonates with me anymore. And so they got these kids floundering out around there, and mom and dad are freaking out, and they're blaming everybody and their brother. They're blaming drugs. They're blaming that, that person they're dating. They're blaming their friends. They're blaming the professor who taught them, you know, don't believe in God. I, I've, I've been to four different institutions in my academic career. I have yet to run into one professor in my academic career who said, don't believe in God. Now, my wife did have one who did say something along those lines. One, 
So, and she's been to three academic institutions. She has two master's degrees and a bachelor. So between two of us, we have seven academic institutions. I've had one professor tell me not to believe in God. So I don't think that's what's happening to our kids. I don't think young people are leaving the house and then all these people are grabbing them and taking them away from Jesus. I think they're just not interested anymore. But I think what is, something happens in their lives and they get thrown overboard and we were all there at one point in time. We left, if if you grew up in the church or around the church, you leave and you get thrown overboard and now you're swimming in the sea of chaos and you really don't know what to do. We think it's terrible as parents. We're like, geez, just, just, just tell them what Pastor Joe always told us. Just tell them the same answers they got in Bible school with the flannel graphs and all those things. Just tell them, just follow Jesus and then you'll be fine. And they're going, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> And I think we have all been there. I think some of us, even in our 30s and 40s and maybe even 50s, are still there. We're still swimming around in the sea of chaos and we're going, I've got to get somewhere safe. The boat that I was in, my Jesus boat that I grew up with, the grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles and friends, and there's Wade and there's Dave and there's all these people and there's Rick and Jim. They're all hanging out and they're all loving Jesus, but that boat has continued to go on down there. I can't catch it. And so in this journey that we're in, they're, they're trying to catch up and they can't and they're just flailing. And I think we think it's a bad thing but I think it's a good thing. So we need to look at life, and my marker is drying out, so I'll pick a, I hope this isn't permanent. Yeah, well, that's not permanent. Let's try green. Oh, green, oh, well, whatever that is. This is, this is life, and this is us. This is our throne. And as we go through this journey, we have choices to make, whether you are 14 or 15 or 50 or 70. This is your life. There's all kinds of stuff happening around your life. And there's, there's a reality that says that we want to be the king and queen of our lives. I'm in charge of me. I do me. You do you, I do me. I'm the boss. We all love being the boss. Even if you act like you don't like being the boss, you like being the boss. How do you know? Because when someone tells you to do something, you bristle. It's interesting how we are conditioned. When you tell a teenager, hey, can you go move your car out of the driveway? They're like, oh. Grab the keys. Oh, man. You tell a grown-up, hey, can you move your car? Oh, yeah, I'll get that. No problem. We're conditioned to do this. But even that grown-up is going, well, I was doing something else over here. But, yeah, I will stop everything I'm doing. That's the internal dialogue that's going on. Yes, I will give up the TV show. There's an important moment right now, but I'll, I'll go do that for you. And we don't say those things. We just get up and smile and go do them. We all want to be the boss of our lives. And for those of us who are nominal, nominal means sort of, kind of, followers of Jesus, this is where we are. There he is. He's in my stuff. Jesus, love him. Love Jesus. Love him. God is so good. It's awesome. Love him. Kumbaya, my Lord. And this is where we are. Jesus is a gentleman. He is patient. Bible says long-suffering. He is kind. He is thoughtful. He has one plan. 
right there. He is unequivocal. He doesn't try and fool you. He doesn't try and sneak or cheat or trick. He simply says, I want to be Lord of your life. And we say, either as a teenager or as an adult, oh yeah, that sounds cool, yeah, we'll get into that later. This is where he wants to be. Some of you here today, some of you, this is a theological diagram right out of some theological place. Some of you, he's out there. He's on the outside. You come to church, you take communion, you sing songs, you raise your hands, you smile at the other people in church, or someone says amen, you're like, amen. But you don't know Jesus Christ from Adam. You do not know who he is. You have heard about him. You think you know some things about him, but he is nowhere in your orbit. Where God needs to be, where Jesus insists on being, where the mature believer in Christ has Jesus, and my handwriting is terrible, and God forgives me for that, is right there. On this journey, that's where Jesus wants to be. Looking at Peter, I love Peter. I love Peter because he's the apostle I relate to most, and I think most of us relate to Peter. He was salty. He probably cussed a little bit. He was crass. He was a fisherman. He was sometimes rude. He was impetuous. He once chopped a guy's ear off. Peter was that guy like us, that girl like us. I mean, he, he's very much like who we are. And we look at his journey in the first chapter of Mark. I think we're going to have a passage up on the screen. Mark chapter 1 shows us that Peter and his brother Andrew, Peter was called Simon, Simon called Peter, and they're fishing, they're doing their thing, and Pastor Jeff did the story a couple weeks ago, which fleshed out the story that they took the nets and threw them off another side. There's all kind of neat stuff going on. But basically what happened was Jesus walks up, they're fishing, Jesus says, come follow me. They drop their nets, they leave. Can you imagine that in today's world? Someone walks up to you and you're, you're at your job, working your machine, or you're typing at your desk, or you're, uh, you're doing a sales call, or you're working on whatever it is that you do at work, and this guy walks up and says, come follow me, and you put your stuff down, I'm outie, and you leave, you, you can't get your mind around it, because none of you would do it. Heck, I wouldn't do it. I barely work. <laughs> just kidding about that. We just wouldn't. So this is, how Jesus, this is how Peter starts. Peter starts off by like, yeah, I'm out. I'm there. And then he walks three years with Jesus. And then we get to the end, and we have this little picture of life. Christ has been tried and found guilty. He is being paraded through the streets. He's been beaten. The apostles, or disciples at this time, the disciples are all freaked out, and they're a mess. Some of them ran away. Some of them are hiding. They don't know what to do. Peter finds himself by a fire, and he's warming himself by a fire. And some little girl comes over to Peter, some little big bad little girl who's very intimidating and apparently terrifying to this big fisherman. And this little girl says, hey, weren't you with that guy Jesus? Well, I don't know what you're talking about. He was scared of some little girl. 
How did the big bad fisherman who pulls in nets, grabs fish, chops their heads off, fillets them, whatever it is that fisher people do, and now he's got a little girl, a servant, saying to him, hey, you were with that Jesus guy. I don't know what you're talking about. He's terrified of the little girl. This is a weird picture of life, isn't it? Of the Apostle Peter. The Catholic Church holds him up as the first pope. This guy has, had importance. He was one of Jesus' inner circle. This is, a, this is the dude. A lot of his bones, decades ago, they talked about having his bones somewhere in Europe and people were auctioning and trying to get money for it. This is an important guy. And in his journey, he was felled by a little girl. What falls you in your journey? What are you afraid of in 2024 America? Who knocks you down off of your Jesus seat? Who scares you? Who challenges you and your faith in such a way that you don't know what to do or say? And you turn around and turn tail and go hide and deny Jesus. How are you confronted with something and, and you have the opportunity to say, I don't do that because the Lord of my life, the guy that sits on the throne of my life, tells me not to. And I don't need to justify to you why I follow this guy. I just invite you to look into what he said and see if you too want to follow this guy. There are lots of famous stories, lots and lots of famous stories, people being confronted for Jesus. And I'm famous for this. My family thinks it's because I'm Mr. Obvious or I'm literal man, but I'm really just playing games most of the time. Someone comes up and they're attacking you for your faith. Oh, you know Jesus? Do you want to follow him too? No, dude, I'm attacking Jesus. Oh, so you want to know what he had to say? You're taking me literally. No, I am attacking your, your, your faith. You're attacking my faith? Well, Jesus was attacked. You just kind of keep playing dumb. But as long as he's the Lord of your life, you can get to a place. I, last week in our class back there, we talked about a guy from the 70s. Some of you old folks remember this. Some of you young folks might want to emulate this. His name was Arthur Blessed. Arthur Blessed was famous. Nobody knew his name. They just knew what he, his image. He would put a cross on his shoulders. Young people, don't be afraid. Save up some money, grab a cross, and walk across America. That's what Arthur Blessed did. He put a cross on his shoulders, and he started in one corner of our country, and he just walked, carrying his cross. He took literally what the Bible said. Pick up your cross and carry it daily. He literally picked it up and carried it daily. And he carried it all over America, and he got his picture in the paper. He was just like the John 3.16 guy with the rainbow hair. Remember him at all the games? They'd always, he'd have the John 3.16 sign. This is Arthur Blessed carrying this cross around. He became famous. He was famous for one thing. He was a famous for a follower of Jesus. People thought he was nuttier than a fruitcake. But he was famous for following Jesus. And then later, this is pre-9-11, so don't do it now. You'll go to jail. Um, he, he would buy a plane ticket. He would literally go to some, he'd be carrying his cross, and oh, I'm in Seattle. He'd put his cross down, he'd go to the airport, he'd buy a plane ticket, he'd get on the plane, and he'd sit. He was polite to the flight attendants, he was polite to the crew and those around him. People liked him, he would talk a lot, he was very verbal. And like, oh, that, and some would recognize him. That's that Arthur Blessed guy that carries the cross all over. And he would wait till the plane was at his very highest altitude, flying across America at 600 miles an hour. And he would stand up in the middle of the plane and he would say, Ladies and gentlemen, if this plane were to go down right now, how many of you would be with Jesus? Yeah, it freaked a lot of people out. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, you can't do that now. You'd be tackled. Let's roll. And rightfully so. But this is the kind of life. This is the kind of journey. So Peter is felled by a little girl. He denied Jesus three times that night. I think we can see ourselves in Peter's life. Peter went from leaving his job immediately to follow Jesus. He walked with Jesus for three years, witnessing miracle after miracle after miracle. He saw Jesus transfigured on top of a mountain, and then Moses and Elijah were there. What the heck? I can't even get my mind around that. And so he sees all this. He sees dead people raised. He sees you know, all these miracles, blind can see and leprosy is gone and, and wow. And then he gets to this point where he's warming himself by a fire after the horrific trial that Jesus goes through and a little girl questions him and he caves. Anybody been there? Anybody done that? I'm raising my hand because I have. It's true. We all fall short of God's glory. We all fail. But in this journey, this is our goal. He needs to be on the throne of our life. And so now Peter fast forward, and he denied Jesus once, but he'll never deny him again. Years later, after witnessing the crucifixion, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, followed by untold number of miracles and the horrific persecution of Christians under Nero and others, Peter makes a business decision while he's in Rome. The business decision isn't not to follow Jesus. It's I need to get out of town because they're trying to kill me. And yet he encounters Christ. And Jesus says, I'm going back to fight again. At this stage in Peter's journey, he boldly walks with Jesus. And now Peter is full of trust and contentment and faith and humility. And that's where we need to get to. Some of you need to already be there. I need to already be there. Some of you young people, you got time. Time is on your side. There's another famous old picture. It's called the, um, oh, I made it in my notes, the Ladder of Divine Ascent. The picture is this, that there's a, a ladder going up to heaven. Not Jacob's ladder, but just a ladder going up to heaven. And all of us followers of Christ are on this ladder. And in this picture, it's an ancient art piece, probably from this, I don't know, the 1600s, maybe before that, maybe an ancient, just old. And on this ladder, these people are walking. But the, the creepiness of the picture, the true reality of the picture, the honesty of the picture, is that while there are many walking up this ladder, some are hanging off precariously. Some are falling off. Some have already fallen. Some are real close to the top, and they're almost. It's kind of a crazy picture. You can Google it, divine, uh, the, the ladder of divine ascent. And it's just this crazy picture. But this is the deal, guys. In America, we think this. We, we like one and done. We like one and done. We like to, let me, let me make the deal. What's the deal? T- tell me the deal again. Okay, I accept Jesus. Okay, okay. how do I do that? Come down to the front. I can do, I can do that, no problem. I, I kneel up here, and I, okay, yeah, and I pray. And something, okay, cool. And then what do I do? Oh, I get baptized, and I can schedule that, right? Because I'm pretty busy. Yeah, you can schedule that whenever. Okay, well, I'll schedule that. And then um, what do I do after that? Well, you come to church every Sunday. Every Sunday? Well, it's not required that you come every Sunday, but you should. But like, you know, the 500s on a Sunday, 
Well, okay, but it starts at noon, but okay, okay. Yeah, I got to get there early. And then Colts games, Sundays, every Sunday? No, maybe? Tailgating, anybody? You know, well, you know, but hunting season. I hunt best on Sundays. The deer know that Sunday is the day they think we're all at church, and so that's when I get the most. I'm just saying. You see, we like that one-and-done transactional thing. We just want to say, give me my insurance card and let me go to heaven and then leave me alone. Don't bother me. Don't ask me for 10% of my money. You know, it's crazy. I was talking to someone the other day, and it's like in churches that are afraid to talk about tithing, it's just weird. It's just a weird thing. People, it's just the simplest thing. It's, we want equations. We want to go 4 plus 9 plus 12 plus 2 times pi divided by the square root of something equals my solution. We want that. And then when the Bible says, just give 10% of what I give you back and we're all good. And people are like, oh, is that 10% before or after taxes? Now, is that 10%... Like, is that literal 10%? Or is this one of those places where the Bible's speaking figuratively? You know, because sometimes the Bible, I mean, the Bible says literally pluck your eye out if you sin. Well, I'm still seeing things, so maybe it's just a figurative 10%. And can I trade it with other stuff? You know, I made a dollar. How about I give you a nickel, and a nickel's worth of my time? Okay. You know, whatever it is you negotiate with God. But this is the journey. We like the one and done, but Jesus and God are telling us it's one and forever. It's one and walk with me. It's one and do what I say. It's one and be with me. So we're going to talk in this last section here about what separates us from God. What stands in the way? What's, what's, what are the things that are just like, well, I just can't do it, or I'm not going to do it? Well, the first thing is we got to look at sin. I think that's the next one. I only bring this up. This is a theological point. It's a true point. For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Is there any part of that? And I'm being honest and sincere. I'm not being uh, sarcastic. I'm not being mean. Is there any part of that sentence that we don't get? I'm, I'm being 100% sincere. Anybody, do you, do you not get it? Because if you haven't, we want to spend some time. I'm looking for any heads that kind of look like they're glazing over and like, I don't know. Okay, okay, well, sin, in case that's too weird of a word, too Jesus-y of a word, too churchy of a word, bad things. Lying to your mother. Uh, smacking your brother upside the head even when he deserves it. Um, cheating on your spouse. Cheating on your taxes. Breaking the law. Um, you can fill in the blank on sin. Talking bad about somebody else. Hating people. That's real popular today amongst Christians. We seem to put hate in a new category. I can hate you. I can hate you if you don't agree with me. I'll hate. You're terrible. You're the worst thing in the world. You're a piece of garbage. You suck. You're so bad. So that, that's sin, guys. That's sin. Sorry. Not allowed to hate. Jesus says, if you hate your brother, you have no part of me. Who's your brother? We're all brothers and sisters, all of us. And so we've all fallen short doing bad and wrong things. We can agree to that. Okay, that separates us from God. So from the get-go, go to the next verse there, Charlie. I believe it's 51.5. This one should scare the bejeebers out of us. <clears throat> surely, the psalmist says, surely I was sinful at birth. Have you ever seen a little baby? There is, I mean, they're cute. Well, not, let's be honest, they're not all cute. <laughs> but 
but they're mostly cute. The idea is cute. Okay, some of them are really ugly, but they're, they're precious. Let's use precious. Isn't that precious? That's always the southern, oh, isn't that precious? Bless your heart. Um, but babies are innocent. They are innocent. The, t- the psalmist says, no. No, they're not. No. Now, we can get into some deep theology here, and I'm not going to. I'm going to share what I believe. You can agree or disagree. I don't really care because this isn't a salvation issue per se for each and every one of us who's over the age of 15, I think we've established in this facility here today. So I believe that babies are covered under the, covered under the blood of Jesus. I believe that babies don't know any different. I believe that God has a special place for babies. I believe that when babies die in any fashion, through abortion, through some type of... Uh, tragic um, um, genetic reality through, through accident like SIDS. I believe those babies spend eternity with Jesus Christ. I believe that. If you don't, that's fine. I'm not here to argue about that. That's just my belief. I believe babies are covered by Jesus. But the psalmist says, even though they're covered by Jesus, they are sinful from birth. Guess what we all started out as? Anybody in here, and I'm really I'm, I'm, I'm hoping someone says so. Anybody in here that didn't start as a baby? No? That would have been so cool. We'd have, we'd have blown up on Facebook. It would have gone viral. <laughs> you know, I'd have been like, I didn't start as a baby. I just Anyway, so we all started as babies, and the Bible says that we are sinful from birth. Every human, every human, let me say again, every human being must come to grips with this one thing. Who was this guy, Jesus? Who was he? Why is the calendar that we use based on this guy's life? Why do we celebrate this big, huge thing on December 25th every year based on some dude? Why is there some big spring deal where we have now have eggs and bunnies and chocolate and, and fancy hats and beautiful dresses? And, and what are we doing? Who is this guy, Jesus? If you're a human being, you have to decide who Jesus was. You have to. You have to. And if you don't make a decision, you've decided. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to be honest in this journey. If you believe there's a creator, then something happened. And if you believe that creator is the one true God, then something happened. If you believe that one true God left some information for us, then something happened. If you believe that the 66 books of the Bible that we read each and every day and week is the Word of God given to us through the power of the Holy Spirit over a period of 1,500 years by over 40 different authors on three different continents in three different languages, and yet from beginning to end it is perfect and cohesive. If you believe all of that, then you have to make a decision about who this Jesus is. You have to. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for you if you've never contemplated this, if this hasn't crossed your mind, if this is in your sphere. You're like, I don't want to deal with this right now. I'm just trying to deal with what I'm going to do at work tomorrow or at school tomorrow or whatever. You have to make a decision about who Jesus was if you are a human being on this planet. I think there are four areas where we fail. We're going to try and zip through this because I want you guys to beat the Baptist to lunch. I'm just saying. Now, I can't account for the Methodists. They sometimes get out really early. depends on what's happened in the liturgy this week. But you can probably get the Baptists. So the next slide. Intellect. One of my favorites. My problems are many. 
many problems. I'm an idiot most of the time. I make dumb decisions. But one of my biggest problems is I think I'm really smart. I once had a lady, 1990, Mount Vernon, Illinois, June Hunt. June was Pauline's size. You remind me of June in a lot of ways, except you're cooler. I liked June, but you're cooler. June was a little lady, invited me over for dinner. I was an intern at a church, youth intern. I was a new Christian. I was green. June and her husband, Dick, were builders. June looked at me one evening after we had dinner. They, they took turns feeding me in the church. I just went around all summer long and ate these amazing meals. Dick was funny. This is the first time this ever happened to me. It's happened a few times since. We sat down for dinner. Beautiful, you know, Midwest, oh man, mashed potatoes and gravy, some bread and gravy, some fried chicken, some green beans. I mean, dude, I was like, I'm home. Thank you, Jesus. This is so good. And there was a pot, a plant in the middle of the table. And we finished our dinner, and I was like, oh, and they went dessert? And I'm like, yeah. And so Dick reaches over and pulls the plant out of the pot and serves me some of the dirt. I was like, what in the world? <laughs> okay, wait a minute. What's weird? And it was a joke. It was an Oreo cake. And <laughs> he made it to look like dirt. He'd stuck a fake plant in it, and I fell for it. And I'm like, dude, I'm good. I'm full. You know, I don't want any. <laughs> June stood in her living room one day, and she pointed up at me. And we'd known each other about three months at that time. I was about to leave. She says, Bob, God wants to do some things with and through you. Well, thank you, June. I appreciate it. As, as a preacher, you kind of get used to, like, nodding your head and bowing your head and being, you know, oh, thank you, thank you. She goes, you have a lot of gifts God wants to use, but you have one thing you need to do. Well, okay, now I'm listening. You need to rebuke your intellect. Huh? What row? <laughs> you kind of messed me up. How mad did it mess me up? That was 34 years ago. I'm still talking about it. She said, you need to rebuke. You are smart, but not smarter than God. You are intelligent, but not more intelligent than Jesus. You are capable, but not more capable than the Holy Spirit. You will get in your own way, June said. And you know what I did for the next 20 years? I got in my own way. Sometimes, guys, our intellect stands between us and God. We are so darn smart because God has made us that way. In Romans, it says, Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Did you know that God had a mind? Crazy. He has an intellect. Who's, whose intellect do you think is better, yours or his? This next verse from the book of Isaiah, God meets us where we are. I love this verse because I trust this verse because I trust God. It says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Wow, that is so cool. So my friends who are on the opposite side, we're going to talk about two polar opposites in a second. They're like, you know, well, God just wants you to feel your way through life and just go with your gut. I'm like, well, you know, not so much. He says, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. God wants us to use our intellect, but he wants to be the Lord of our intellect. So there are two opposites. Go to the next slide. I think it should be ration say rationalism. It does. These are the opposite ends of the pole. The rationalist says this. Given enough time, I'll figure it out. Those are your atheists, typically, your agnostics, your reluctant believers who think that they know more than they know, like me. 
And then you go to the opposite end of the spectrum, the anti-intellectuals. Don't trust them. Don't trust them people in the colleges. Don't trust books. Don't trust smartness. And that's not right. Those same people on the other, other end, when they want to prove a point, they'll quote an expert. But when the expert gets in their way, then the expert is not godly and crazy. And the rationalists, when they want to prove a point, they'll say, but I feel. Well, no, you're not allowed to feel. You just said, give enough time, you'll figure it out. I don't care about your feelings. Your feelings mean nothing to me. And so Jesus exists in between those two realities. God says, come, let us reason together. And if we're going to reason together in this journey, we have to do a couple of things. And the hardest thing to do is this. I'm speaking from experience, guys. I'm not speaking out of my backside. I have so much trouble with this. I'm the boss. I'm married to another boss. Sometimes that's a problem. (laughs) Sometimes it's a problem. And both of us are bitty bosses compared to our big boss. And by the grace of God, we usually end up putting him back where he belongs. Usually. I think most always. And so that's the intellect. The opposite reality of intellect is trust. This next verse. The psalmist. I love the psalmist. He says, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. When I pull out my big guns, and I start talking big words, I'm afraid. Eight times out of ten. I'm afraid that you're not going to believe what I think you need to believe. I'm afraid that you're going to go down a wrong path. I'm afraid maybe that you're not getting it. I used to teach uh, as an adjunct professor at a community college, and when I didn't think they were getting it, I'd pull out the big guns and I would get more glazed looks, like it didn't work. It wasn't the right approach. It wasn't the way to go. God says, trust him. He says, trust him. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? God says, when you're in your head and you think you got it, and you're doing all this stuff in your head like, I got, I got it, I got it. Just trust him. Step back, let go, put him on the throne. The next area, well, we don't like talking about this one. Well, we're going to go a little longer than the Baptist. Once. I want. I want, I want, I want. What was that show, Eliah, with the, mine, 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 mine? Nemo, yes, yes. Oh, I love that. And those little birds are just little Americans. They're just little American human beings. Mine, 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 mine. It's what we are. Forget it if you think you're not. We are so into our stuff. We love our stuff, our stuff. Forget the you on our throne. It's our stuff on the throne. We are slaves to our stuff. We go to work for our stuff. We go to work to pay for our stuff. I know a couple, and they're good friends of mine, and they are amazing because they gave up their stuff They sold it all, and they moved to an apartment, and they said, you know what? I don't need my stuff. I love those people. I can't do it. I want to do it. I once lived in an RV on the side of a mountain. It was a good time until the RV flooded, but it was a good time because I didn't have any stuff, except I did have stuff. You know where my stuff was? I bought a moving van. I parked it at a friend of mine's church with all my stuff in it. A little weird, isn't it? $6,000 for a moving van to hold my stuff that I clearly didn't need because I was living just fine in the RV on the side of a mountain. So our wants, our wants get in the way. Proverbs tells us, oh no, Galatians, sorry. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. That's a crazy thought. It says, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. This is it, guys. This is it in a nutshell. This is the journey. This is the problem. 
then you won't be doing what the sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil. Just deal with it. You want to do the wrong thing. I want to do the wrong thing. Given two choices, but for the Holy Spirit, I would choose the wrong thing. The sooner you come to understand that, the sooner you might be able to give it up. As adults, we give up wrong things. We tell our kids, if you'll just not do that, and what do our kids do? They do that. Well, I got experience it myself. You really don't? You really don't? Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, the scars, the sickness, the ailments, the pain, the suffering, the challenges, the memories. You don't need to do it. And the Bible is earnest and honest and says, this is what you want to do. It's the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. The Bible has this verse that says, God will give you the desires of your heart. And I used to think that I was going to get a red Porsche because that's the desire of my heart. I don't even like red cars unless they're a Porsche. But that's not what that verse means. He's not going to give you the thing you desire. He's going to give you the desire in the first place. Next verse is Philippians Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. That Paul was a jerk. I don't like him. I don't like him because he's always honest. I'm just kidding. I'm being facetious. I love Paul. But he was, how does he say, what, how did, who's content in here? Someone raise your hand if you're content. Well, God bless you, and I mean that sincerely. I am not. I'm trying. I heard someone say I'm trying. I'm not even trying most of the time. I am always, my wife asked me the other day, I bought another car at an auction. She said, are you going to keep this one? I'm like, probably not. I'm, we're at a point where we're just honest. <laughs> probably not. I've had 163 cars. That's not a made-up number. I didn't pull that number. I've had 163 cars. I have a problem with contentment. We, most of us, have problem with contentment. Proverbs tells us, Galatians tells us, we need to be content. Go to the next one. Go back. Sorry. Wants contentment. Yes, this is where we are. That finishes that. Now, we're getting real close. This is going to be real close, guys. On my phone, I have the Baptist thing going, and they're not out yet. I'm not making fun of Baptists. That church in Mount Vernon, Illinois, it was a Baptist church. I've worked in Baptist churches. I've served. In ba- I love my Baptist brothers. And uh, we always joked about who got to lunch first. Philippians 4. Did we read this? No, but I'm going to. Last, last comment on contentment. We just did read that. Sorry. Let me get back to where I am. Anxiety. I changed this from fear because my wife thought anxiety was a better word, a more contemporary word, a word that resonates more with people today. Because so many of us are anxious. Now, here's a, here's a challenge. Don't be anxious about everything, about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Okay, we're done. That's it. That's like telling someone not to breathe. It's, like, it's just like telling someone not to, not to eat to survive. Don't be, some of us hang on to our anxiety. We can, we can erase Jesus. We can erase our stuff. And we can put right on that throne anxiety. That's the God of our life. That's who's on our throne. We are anxious people, a lot of us. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, 
In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's a promise from God. Set your intellect aside, trust God. Set your wants aside, be content. Set your anxiety aside, allow God to do what he wants to do in your life. The next verse should be, that's it, Luke 14, 27. Jesus left us with this promise, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, for the Spirit of God the Spirit God, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and discipline. In Mark 4.40, Mark challenges us. He said to his, uh, Jesus challenges us in Mark. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Why are you so anxious? Do you have no faith? And so Jesus wants to be the throne sitter in our lives. And the answer to anxiety is you've got to have faith. And that's hard, guys, because our intellect gets in the way, our wants get in the way. You've got to have faith that things are going to work out the way God has planned. Last one. Save the big one for the last. Pride. Pride. There's been a recent poll, and the poll cuts both ways. It says that Americans, basically, this is the state of America. The reason we, we are so insistent upon our various beliefs is because of pride. And this is, a, this is a secular poll. This wasn't Barna, who's a Christian poller, pollster. It, it's a secular poll that says, basically, we hold on to stuff even after we find out it's not true. Even when all the facts are presented and, and when you find out this is not true unequivocally, end of story, we still hold on to it. And, they, and the pollsters have all come to this conclusion. These are sociologists. These are psychologists. These are psychiatrists. They're saying, here's, here's what we see. And it's fascinating because they are just reflecting what the Bible has been teaching us for centuries. We don't come off of our beliefs, even when we find out that they're wrong, because of pride. I was fascinated to read these polls. Fascinated. Really? Revelation. Ah. Really? Pride goes before a fall? Who'd have thunk it? Been preached in churches since Jesus left. Was preached in synagogues before Jesus came. Pride goes before a fall. Our pride messes us up. You have a fight with your wife or your husband, what stops the fight from ending? Let me try it again. You have a fight with your spouse, what stops it from ending? Pride. It's what it is. You can be as wrong as wrong can be. I've been beyond wrong. I've been wrong and then wrong about being wrong and still won't admit it. Even after being determined right, I'm still arguing the wrong. This is crazy because we're so proud. We are are prideful people. And God says, here's simple. This is like another simple scripture. For all sin and fall short of the glory of God, simple. Pride comes before a fall. When you put pride on the throne of your life, you are going to fall flat on your face. Hurts. Just before here, Cade was in here, and he was sitting on a stool, and he had a stand in front of him with a sharp edge at the top, and he fell off the stool and nearly impaled himself on that stand. That's kind of like a picture of pride. Now, he wasn't being proud. He was sleeping, I think. But the point was, that's when we fall, we fall hard. Pride comes before a fall. 
The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. But what's the antidote to pride? Our last verse for the day. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. Anybody here know disgrace? Don't raise your hand. I'll raise mine for you. I know disgrace. I think we all do. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. I trust that that verse is true. It may mean I'm super wise. (laughs) This journey that you're on is important. The decisions you make about Jesus and who He was and who He is, that's important. Understanding that there is a path to God and that path of Jesus Christ is important to know. What often stands in the way is us, our intellect, our wants, our anxiety, and our pride. We've got to work through these things. That's why, like the divine ladder of ascension, this isn't a one-and-done deal. If you accepted Jesus today, you're not going to have it all right today or tomorrow or next week or even next year. It's a journey, guys. Give yourself some grace. Give yourself some love. Trust that God's got it all. You're going to screw up. You're going to fail. You're going to fall. If you're here today and you need to do business with God, when the band comes to play, you can do it right here. No one's going to bother you. There will be someone in the back if you want to pray with someone specifically. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to be sitting right over there, and I would like you to come see me. Not that I'm special. I just want want to be the one to talk to you. I'm selfish. This journey is important. Let's pray as the band comes up. I pray that God does something in your hearts. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you that you've allowed us to do the things that we're doing talking about you, talking about your word, talking about truth, talking about what it means to follow you, ultimately talking about getting you on the throne of our lives. This journey is important, Lord. You've set us on it, and I trust that you're going to watch us through it and help us to be successful in you, through you, and because of you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.